you will turn in your Bibles to Luke, the 23rd chapter. I want to begin reading in verse 50. I want to talk to you today about getting your hands on Jesus. Getting your hands on Jesus. Which may sound kind of strange because in bodily form, Jesus is not here to actually get your hands on Him. But I hope that we'll see how that works for us today as we look as a starting point at Luke 23 and verse 50. Let's read the Word of God. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. And that's referring to the Sanhedrin who voted, who moved to murder Jesus illegally. He had not consented to that. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down, got his hands on the body of Jesus, and wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulcher, a grave, that's a fancy word for grave, that was hewn in the stone wherein never man before was laid. If you also read the accounts of Joseph of Arimathea and the other Gospels, he's in all of them. You'll find that he was a rich man, very prosperous man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Jewish court. He was in the same category as the fellow named Nicodemus. Those guys were all in it together, the scribes, the Pharisees. He was one of the top of the religious elite of the day. So he would be considered to be top tier in terms of his knowledge. And not only that, he was a rich man. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of substance. I would rather say he had a lot of substance because back in those days, it was more than just the money you had. It was the substance that you have and the property and the cattle and so forth that you own. So we find a very interesting account of Joseph of Arimathea getting his hands on Jesus. I want you to think about what's happening in this scenario here you can't be you can't get any further down the road to the lost cause and the no hope than what's going on here with joseph of arimathea there's also some other people around hanging around in this area it's curious who is not hanging around the disciples have all fled but you'll see also that some others some some of the women including mary magdalene were hanging around and this is what I would just consider a situation that is just, in, in natural terms, just beyond hope. I've dealt with people who were grieving. I've dealt with people who were grieving the loss of loved ones. And you think about how impactive that is in the lives of individuals. I've preached many funerals. I've counseled in homes. I've sat down with people and just listen to them very often. I found that to be the case in so many situations where someone has passed is just listening, even if all they need to do is just cry. But I'm seeing some very interesting reactions, ongoing reactions. One of those, um, I was asking mom about a few weeks ago to put it back in my mind, but we have cousins that live up in New York City and they had a son who got into the bodybuilding scene. I've mentioned him to you before. His name was Derek. And he lost his life to the abuse of steroids and things like that. It just basically, he was 
if you looked at him from the outside, he looked like the greatest specimen that's ever been of a male physique. And yet he had destroyed his inside from taking all of those things that would damage the inside of your body. So mom and dad would often go and visit with them after he died and before he died and after he died. And so mom was sharing with me that one time her and dad went and they wanted to take mom and dad to the graveside. They wanted to take them to Derek. They said to see Derek. And so they would go and they would sit and with chairs and visit with Derek at the grave and talk to him, you know, sitting by the gravestone. So they took mom and dad down there and they had two chairs set up for mom and dad at the gravestone, just like they had done. And when mom was sharing that with me, she said, you know, her and, her and dad, my dad, you know, they went down there and they left them down there by themselves. And mom said, we just kind of talked to each other while we're sitting there by the graveside, just to be polite and be nice. And thank you for that great example, mom. You know, you didn't, some other people that don't have any sense could have crushed them, you know. We don't want to crush anybody. Christ didn't crush anybody in that way. But I've seen a lot of reactions. I even heard the story, it's factual, from another preacher once that at a funeral, the husband was so overwhelmed and grieved at the loss of his wife that they had to physically restrain him from crawling into the grave hole with her. And by the way, that was one of the first funerals that that preacher had ever handled. That'd be one to start off with. Had to physically restrain the man because he was trying to go a little further. You get that? And here is Joseph of Arimathea, this man of status, this rich man who had a pristine reputation among probably everybody. He was, it says he was a good man. He was a just man. He was not like the rest of the Pharisees who lived it on, looked, looked it on the outside but didn't live it on the inside. Are y'all with me? They were legalists. They were hypocrites. Jesus said, woe unto you hypocrites. But he wasn't talking to Joseph whenever he said that. Because we have the testimony here. Joseph did not consent to the vote when they voted to murder Jesus, to kill the Son of God, to put Him to death, to turn Him over to the Romans and put him, have Him put to death, cry out, crucify Him. He did not consent to that. I just want you to think about the turmoil that this man was in. I mean, here he is believing with all of his heart in the Son of God and doing the best that he can in the situation that he... You say, well, I could have done more. Well, maybe you could have, but would you have? He's doing the best he knows at the time. Could he have done more? Yes, we could all do more. But he did the best that he thought he could at the time. And he, I'm not voting in favor of this. And then he has to sit there and watch as the Son of God, who he believes is the Son of God, at least to some degree... He has some knowledge that this man is the Messiah. He doesn't fully understand how everything's going to play out. Nobody did. But in his heart and in his mind, you know as well as I do that he was thinking, I haven't done enough. And he stood by there and he watched the Son of God be mutilated by the Romans and by Herod's men and then be crucified by the Romans. And on top of that, it appears that this man was standing by at least from a distance and watching even as the... Of course, you couldn't see it because the Lord turned the lights off. The Lord caused the entire world to go dark. You know, you know that I believe there was an island in the Mediterranean, people that were isolated. It may have been the island of Crete. But in that particular nation's historical records, which are written down, they stated on this particular day when God turned the lights off of the world, 
They stated in their records that the sun stopped shining and they wrote in their records, a God must have died. They were right, weren't they? Except they should have said, the God died on that day. You see, even the testimony of the heathen nations support what happened to our, our Lord on the cross. So as God turned out the lights there and He was punishing His own innocent and just Son for your sins and my sins, Joseph of Arimathea is standing by saying, this is not right. This is so wrong. People go around demanding justice. People say, I want fairness. We're a country of of people who just demand fairness. And fairness is good, but when it comes to God, you don't want fairness. You want mercy. It wasn't fair for the Son of God to go through what He went through. It wasn't fair for Him to have three mock trials in one night. It wasn't fair for them to do what they did to Him. And He did it for you, child of grace. It should have been you. It should have been me. And we'd still be paying for our sins in the lake of fire. See? So the the just one, the only just one, and Joseph of Arimathea is watching this. And he is torn up. And have you ever been torn up over something? You ever see something that's just not right? It's just not fair? It's just, it's just, how can this go on? There's nothing worse than this that has ever gone on. Because the just one, the Son of God, is hanging there, half naked or completely naked, paying for the sins of His people as God pours out His wrath upon His Son. And Joseph Arimathea, it says, back up before this, it says, the ones that saw this, they smote on their breast. They... They, they just couldn't take it. It was so bad. And this one man, Joseph of Arimathea, who has this reputation, who has everything on the line, his status, his riches, his position in the Sanhedrin, a thought comes to his mind. Because he knows what the result will be. He knows what the Jews, what the, the hypocrites wanted. You see, they crucified Jesus between two thieves. And nine times out of ten, or ten times out of ten, when it came to the death of criminals, unless there was a family member around to take the body, those criminals were headed for the valley of Gehenna, which was the trash dump. In Isaiah 53, it says that he made his grave with the wicked. In his death, he was with the wicked. See, the Jews intended for him to be tossed in the trash heap. But a thought comes into the mind of Joseph of Arimathea. I believe this is the Son of God. Somehow in my mind, I believe this is the King of Kings. And I'm not going to allow this King of Kings to be tossed into the trash dump and just discarded like a common criminal. Joseph of Arimathea, his thought process is going. His mind is turning. How can I get my hands on him? How can I get my hands on the body? How can I take that body, that holy body, and carry it with me? Because you know what? I've just finished making my burial preparations. For whatever reason, I don't know if maybe he's like some of us as we get older. You know, people would always tell me, when you turn 40, it's a different life. It's a different thing. I didn't believe that till I turned 40. I didn't believe that every little pain that possibly came up on my body, you know, from my toenail to my fingernail to the top of my head and sometimes my chest or my stomach or what. Every time I feel a pain now, I'm like, is this it? <laughs> you ones that are 40 and above, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I never felt this before. What is this? <laughs> Call the ambulance. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not a hypochondriac or anything like that, but I'm just saying, you know, you think differently after you get a little bit older, right? And the, you older, you very much older ones are going... That little whippersnapper doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) 
Now, I admit that. I know it's only going to get worse. But I don't know what was going through Joseph of Arimathea's mind, but he is already in the mindset of making preparations for his burial. Now, all of you know, I have very, uh, all of you probably know an undertaker or you've been around an undertaker. I have a very close friend who was an undertaker over in Pickens County. He's been, as long as I can remember, pretty much in my lifetime that I remember him, he's always been uh, the undertaker. And the undertaker's always in business, right? <laughs> because people are always dying. My brother likes to joke with, with our friend, you know, that you're not going to have a job in heaven. <laughs> there won't be a need for an undertaker anymore. Praise God, that's the case. But he does a wonderful job. He's, he's such a caring and kind, detail-oriented person that does a great job. And I'm like you, Brother McNeil. I'm not advertising for him. You know, don't. <laughs> but, but he is my friend and he does a great job. And you think about, you know, funerals are expensive. They're expensive. It just, it just is. It's just the way that it is. But I don't think they were as expensive as the preparations that Joseph of Arimathea was making. If that makes you feel a little bit better about the price of funerals. Okay, the Jewish tradition for burial was to, if, if you could afford it, now, a lot of times it was for a whole family, okay? They would have, a, you know, a rock mason or people that could dig and chisel into rock and they would hew out tombs. They would be like a cave, hewn, hewn out of a rock, okay? So it was a lot different than us digging a grave in the ground six feet down, they would actually, can you imagine how much that would cost? And it says Joseph of Arimathea in one of the other accounts had, had done this. It sounds like he did it, but he didn't do it. Now I'm telling you, it was hard work. Have y'all, any of y'all ever seen those YouTube videos where the guy's breaking the rock? <laughs> yes, I admit I've wasted a little bit of time watching the guy chisel a rock and this gigantic piece of rock falls off after he's just chiseled a little bit. That's, Anyway, it's better watching some of that other stuff. And they're not cussing on it. So. so this was a big deal. And think about making a cave inside of a rock. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a mining cave or been down underground and such, or maybe just a regular cave. I mean, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. I feel claustrophobic, you know, when I get into a place like that. And these, these caves, these tombs that they would hew out, they would probably be like a foyer-type area with ledges on it. And then they would have an area where eight or ten people could be, their bones could be interred. Now the interesting thing about the Jewish way in which they buried, and they're, they're dead. Remember this now, I'm not trying to knock anybody's decision on how they handled their interment. But there's no evidence and no indication whatsoever in the Word of God that anybody's ever cremated. And you say, well, why? What's the big deal? It's cheaper. Well, number one, it's not about money. Number two... They believed in the resurrection. The ones that cremated their own did not believe in the resurrection. You know, you're just, you're dead all over like the old dog rover. It's over with. Nothing left of you, it's gone. But Abraham buried Sarah, see, in a tomb. And all the patriarchs did that because they believed that those bones would be revived one day. So that's why we don't cremate. See, that's not my subject this morning, but that's just why we don't do that. Because... Those bodies, now listen, don't think for a second, the Lord will put back together a cremated body for sure. There's been many children burned by their parents and destroyed in the Old Testament form of abortion. There's been many people that have perished at sea and nobody knows where their bones are. There's people that have died in house fires. There's bodies that have been burned to a crisp. There's been bodies that are cremated. But the Lord will rebuild all of those bodies one day. But the reason we bury our dead is because we believe in the resurrection. 
And so the Jews would hew out these tombs. And inside these tombs, if a family member died, they would wrap them in linen and put spices upon them because they didn't do embalming in the way that we know it back in those days. The Egyptians were famous for that, but the Jews didn't do that. So they'd get somebody and put them into the grave on whatever they had hewn out in the tomb, just a little area where somebody could have their body laid, maybe several of those areas in a tomb. And so they would leave them there for a long time until their body completely decomposed. And they'd put a rock over the tomb's mouth so nothing could disturb the body. You know, no wildlife or animals or anything like that. And then after that sufficient period of time went, they would go in and they would collect the bones of the dead and put them in a smaller container and have them sitting aside, maybe in the foyer area of that tomb, just sitting and waiting. Those type of boxes with bones of them have been uncovered in archaeological digs. Some of them had Jewish names and such on them and also references to Scripture on them. But you see what's going on in the mind of Joseph? I've got a new tomb that I just put together. That I just had. There's no telling. You think about how much a funeral costs today. There's no telling how much in today's money it would cost to hew out a cave in the side of a solid rock wall. Very expensive. You know, they bring their bulldozers and drills and all that type of stuff today. Not in those days. You hired people, a crew to come in there and they just chip it out. Chip it out little by little. And, and hew it out. Joseph had just had this done. He just had it paid, just paid to have this done. So this man of status, this man of great wealth, goes in and begs. Why? Because he wants to get his hands on Jesus. What a mentality. And let me say this. Against all hope and against all odds. You see? Against all odds. Because he's dead. He... He probably is thinking in his mind, I wish I had spoken up sooner. I wish I had done this sooner. And he, he forsakes his reputation. He forsakes his status. He applies his riches to the, the pursuit of a, the dead body of the king of kings. And he's successful. In one of the accounts, it says he went into Pilate and he begged. He begged. It says another account in Mark that he craved the body of Jesus. That's a good word. Didn't you ever had a craving? <laughs> Y'all, I've joked and said for years, I crave Reese's cups. You know, I... I, I think I crave, here I go. I'm not even going to say it because then y'all start buying me those. <laughs> Nestle Crunch. I think I'm craving Nestle Crunch more than I have Reese's Cup these days. I just had to say it, didn't I? Because I'm so selfish. <laughs> I'll still eat the Reese's Cup, so don't get me wrong. But you ever just had a craving? And he craved the body of Jesus. He's not just in in there with a lobbyist and saying, well, I'll pay this guy to go make intercession. No, this rich man who craves the body of Jesus goes in himself and begs it. He begs for the body of Jesus. What a mentality. That is something that ought to be part of our lives. Have you ever been in a condition like that where you just craved Jesus? Where you just wanted to get your hands on Him and He's not here? Sometimes I've looked to my right or I've looked to my left and fully expected to see the Son of God there. But I know the Spirit of God is there and I know it's in my heart. You see, I crave the body of Jesus. Have you begged for it? Forsaking status, forsaking riches, as we heard here this morning. None of that stuff matters when it comes to the end of life. None of that stuff matters when it comes to now. All that matters is craving and begging the body of Jesus just to get your hands on Him. 
Status is fine. This was a good man. He was a just man. And he had riches. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes our focus and that becomes our ideal, that becomes our icon, our idol in our life, then we've lost sight of what this man is doing. He's begging for the body of Jesus. I just want to get my hands on him. You think tears were rolling down his face as he was granted that petition and he went. He probably got maybe some help from some others to carry the body. We know one other man showed up from the book of John. His name was Nicodemus that he brought spices to put on the body of Jesus. So when he got there, it's interesting in it. You've got another man thinking, I'll go help with this burial. And the next thing you know, Joseph shows up. You know, what are we going to do with the body? Joseph has begged the body and he's got the body. They take it down. They get their hands on the bloody and broken dead body of the son of God. You think they cried and wept as they did that? Nicodemus probably said, what are we going to do with him? <laughs> Joseph said, just follow me. And so they traveled. Not far from where they were. To this expensive new tomb. You know, Matthew Henry said, there's nothing we can truly call our own, but our sins and our graves. <laughs> Isn't that something? And by the grace of God, God has taken away your sins. You know, the Jews designed that he would have made his grave with the wicked. It should have been buried with the thieves, probably just tossed out into the trash heap. But God overruled this so that Isaiah 53 and 9 was fulfilled. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. You see, the Messiah was born in a womb where no other man had been born. He rode into Jerusalem on a colt where all never man had sat before. And so now we see him being laid down in a tomb wherein never man had been laid before. And it's called a borrowed tomb. You know why? Because he only needed it for a little while. <laughs> in reality, we've all got borrowed tombs. You're only going to need it for a little while. As I've told you before, we grew up digging graves in the community. It may sound macabre to you, but that's one of the most enjoyable times that I remember. Not because the person had died, but 30, 40 people would show up at Zion Church and we'd dig graves. I learned how to dig a grave from Mr. Lonzo Malone, who was a member of Zion many, many years ago. He had a little tool that he would chisel off the sides and make sure it was straight. And he'd drop a string down in there and he'd have a level and it's looking good, boys. Now, this was the funny part. Young guys like me, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, and other guys that were in my age, you know, if, if you were a young buck and you wanted to get busy and start working, if you jump down there and start digging like I often did, and they, the old men would start bragging on you. They said, man, look at him go. Boy, man, he shovel that dirt. Look at him. Oh, my goodness. Twice as fast as, as old so-and-so over there. And if you, if you heard that, you just kept going faster and faster and faster. And they're all up there going, you know, we got him. <laughs> I figured that out after a couple of grave digs. I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm, the, I'm worn out. I'm sweating from head to toe. You know, but I dug that grave and they bragged on me. <laughs> we used to have a lot of fun digging graves. I've been at the bottom of a grave. It was a little unnerving the first time I went down in there. And there was always somebody to reach down with their hand, you know, and help you get out. It's kind of hard to get out of a grave. It's about six feet deep, you know, five and a half or whatever. And a grave is just not a pretty place. But all graves are just temporary places. Just temporary holding places. Let me tell you how this works for you today. Getting your hands on Jesus. Acts 20 and verse 31, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That word warn right there is the Greek word nuthateo, if I'm saying that right. And it means to put in the mind, to caution or reprove. You see, how do we get our hands on Jesus? If you let me say it this way, we wrap our minds around Jesus. 
That's how you get your hands on Jesus today. Wrap your mind around, if you can, on what the Son of God is doing for you. That's one of the reasons it's so important for you to understand the sovereign God, not the begging and the pleading and the wishing and the wanting God who can't get anything done. We don't serve a God like that. He is the successful reigning God that can do anything He pleases. He doesn't need man's permission to come into a heart. He doesn't need man's permission to do anything. He is above all of that and He can do as He pleases. You see? Wrap your mind around that. And if you start trying to wrap your mind around that, you'll just keep wrapping your mind trying to for the rest of your life. You'll keep trying to wrap your mind around it. How do you do that? The Apostle Paul said, I am setting your mind on these things. Colossians 3 and 16 uses the similar word, the same word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. That is to set your mind in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts and making melody to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12 says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. That's the preachers. And are over you in the Lord and admonish you who try to set your mind. I've told you many times, the Lord's taking care of your heart. I'm not after your heart. I'm just after your mind. I want to captivate your mind. I want you to be captivated by the mind of Christ that says to seek others' benefit and the blessing towards others rather than towards yourself. That's the mind of Christ. What was Joseph of Arimathea doing? What, what possible incentive could he have to lay down his reputation, to lay down his, his funds, to lay down everything he had just to go and get his hands on the dead body of the Son of God? I tell you, I've got a better story for you today than that. You're not getting your hands and wrapping your mind around the dead body of Jesus. He's come out of that tomb. The stone was rolled away. And now you wrap your mind around the beautiful, amazing, merciful concept, idea, and truth that the Lord has saved you from your sins. You don't have to worry about the dead body of Jesus. If that man who had all of that on the line and he was willing to go and risk everything just to get his hands on a dead body, how should we be today when it comes to getting our hands on Jesus? We don't have to face what Joseph faced. We don't have to many times lay down what he laid down. Jesus doesn't need your grave. He doesn't need the tomb anymore. You see, just go and get your hands on Him in the Word of God, in the preaching of the Gospel, in the prayers that you pray, and your understanding, wrap your mind around that. And you'll just keep wrapping. You'll just keep wrapping for the rest of your life. I know y'all get tired of hearing me quote from these, tell stories from these classics, but I guess they took a hold of me a long time ago and I, they just won't let go of me. In the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last battle, Narnia is a mess in that last, that last book. I know y'all think I'm crazy getting choked up over a fiction book. <laughs> it's a mess. It's as bad of a mess as things are out there today. It's a, it's a mess if you go read that. I mean, everybody's gone crazy. The dwarves are, from Narnia are killing other people from Narnia. <laughs> The wicked enemies from the other nations have invaded and taken over everything. And the last king of Narnia, his name is Tyrion. And he's just astonished at what's going on. Where's Aslan? You know, Aslan is the type of Christ in the book of Narnia, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Where's Aslan? What, what are we going to do? And he makes very bad decisions. He makes some bad decisions and he rushes in on things. And then it's all up. Everything's over. It, the, the castle's been taken. Narnia's been invaded. The enemy forces are here and they're just more pouring in and pouring in. And there's just nothing left to do. So you know what he does? 
Lewis's line says, and so the last battle of Narnia began. I, I, can't, I can never read that without getting choked up. Because it was against all odds, against all hope, against all reason, against all logic, against all education, against everything natural, against all science, the last battle of Narnia began. And you know what he did? He did what we all should do. When we look around us and we think, it's chaos. We should just give up. We should just roll over. We should just forget the name of Christ. There's no hope. Isn't that what Joseph of Arimathea, don't you know that went through his mind at one point? How can this be? How can we let this happen? This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. How can we look on and just not do something? You know what King Tyrion did, the last king of Narnia? It said the last battle of Narnia began. He went out and he fought. He fought for what he believed in. Against all odds. Against everything that was there. And he lost. But he fought. Do you hear me? Joseph of Arimathea, as he stood there and he watched the Son of God, God die, he thought, I'll do one last thing for this, this King of Kings. I'll let him be buried in my grave. The royal splendor of a king being laid in a tomb, I'll give that to him. Against all odds, against all hope, against all cost. And you know what? God delivered <laughs> You know what happened? I know you're wondering, what happened in Narnia? What happened? Go read it. It's great. It's, like, it's a chill. You, know, you can read this very intense, hard to understand stuff that Lewis wrote. There's some hard to understand stuff. I'm still trying to work through some of it. I'm a little boy in my mindset towards some of that stuff. But I can understand that children's classic. The last battle of Narnia was on and they lost the last battle. But Aslan delivered in the end. He delivered. So I hate to tell you the end of it. Don't feel like you don't have to go read it now. <laughs> Let me tell you, child of grace, when you don't know what to do and all hope is lost against all hope and against all reason and against all logic, just let the last battle go forward in your life. Fight on. Battle on. Do what you know is right and leave the rest of it in the hands of God. That's what Joseph of Arimathea did. And for the rest of his life, can you see him sitting around the fireplace, around the hearth for years to come with his family? Guys, I had my own funeral planned out. I figured I was headed out of here pretty soon, so I had the, the tomb hewn out in the rock. But guess what, guys? I laid somebody else in that tomb. Somebody else laid down in the tomb that I was supposed to lay in, and his name was Jesus Christ. And he's in heaven today. He, he came out of my tomb. What a story to tell. You'll have that story too, child of grace, if you conform your mind to the things of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Sovereign God, the Church of God, the Kingdom of God. You'll have those kind of stories too around the hearth one day. Joseph had a great story, didn't he? Let's get our hands on the Son of God. Let's get our hands on it. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, that's a great way to get your hands on the Son of God.